To all who come to this happy podcast, welcome to The Fantasy Files, a Disney and pop culture podcast. We are your hosts, Armida, Jared, and Skylar. This podcast was made by using Spotify for Podcasters, which is a free and easy tool for podcasters at any stage. Whether you're traveling, relaxing, or planning that dream vacation, thank you for choosing us. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome back to the Fantasy Files podcast. Hey. Jerry, you didn't interrupt me this time. I'm not feeling it. <laughs> You're not feeling it today? I'll do it later. Okay, at some point, Jared will just interrupt me, and it'll be great. The The vibes are... are, are... <laughs> it's almost nine, Armita. We're tired. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going, guys? It's been a... It's been a minute. It has. It's it's been a week, honey. We now record on a weekly you know, basis, and I think that may have it's thrown been you a week. Off. You know, it's weird. I don't know why this week has felt so long. Do you want an emotional support, Fry? <laughs> Jared. Jared has this stuffed animal that's it's literally labeled emotional, emotional support, fries. support fries, and he can remove them from the the red casing and just give out. Right. Plushy emotional support fries. Where did you get it's that? It's from my friend who used to work with me. Um she was really struggling mentally while she worked at Slocum, so I was she said mm. I was her emotional support and every Friday we'd get fries from this food truck that would come to oh. our um come to our work. So, emotional mm. support fries. It was a 2-in-1. That that is so and, cute. And I she, love that. That's really She said sweet. it was a gag gift, but I'm like, I love this as I'm rearranging them. It's a, it's a gag gift for me because I laugh every time you pull one out and hand it to somebody. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. This one looks so, like Skylar. Why? <laughs> Just because. It's the red cheeks, isn't it? That's what I imagine his ADD looks like. <laughs> Yeah, a little bit. Did anybody have any nightmares about Small World? And- oh, I hope so. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> uh, that should be this week's question on the Spotify poll. Who had Who nightmares? Who had nightmares? <laughs> All right. So today is the one, the only first episode of in our series of the Disney 100 eras. We're breaking down the golden era tonight. Um, and hey, guys. Welcome back twist. to the Fantasy Files podcast. There it is. <laughs> There it is. Sorry. It, it's like a, it's like venom. It just kind of comes out whenever. Um, so as an added twist, we are th- considering, and by considering, I mean we've already asked people, bringing guests on to help us watch these movies because, to be honest, it was pretty grueling watching these couple of movies. So um, next week when we do wartime era, we'll have my friend Victoria on the show and uh, oh she's actually yeah coming? yeah she, oh, she cool. confirmed um and if you don't know victoria then you aren't on disney twitter um because she is an icon an absolute icon a theme park creator she's um from the east coast and she's been to a lot of theme parks that i went to when i was a kid and so i am super super excited to chat with her and do her basic questions and also get her insight on a lot of these hard-hitting subjects of the wartime era. So this is your warning. When that episode comes out, it's going to get real. 
Because we Especially are, that era. yeah, we are talking about Song of the South, so and a lot of other things too. Three Caballeros, yeah. Saludos Amigos, all of which have problematic imagery in them. A lot of Disney movies do have problematic in- imagery in them, but it's really in bulk in that era. So we're gonna bring on somebody who is super eloquent and can talk about this stuff very, very easily. And so I'm super excited to have her on. She is a blast. You guys are going to love her. Um, Are there any notes before we get started? How did you guys enjoy the movies? We watched The Golden Age this time around. How did we like it? You know, not my favorite. I honestly, I'm going to be real. I've never liked any of these movies. Um... So going back through them was like really difficult. It was it was hard. It was it was a tough time, but we did it. We got through it. I didn't watch Fantasia, but you know I did. And I asked you about it. I was like, "Do you think I should?" Because of my ADHD. I told you no, but I'll get into that later. My over my overview of it was like, I remembered why Snow White was so iconic. Like watching it in order really helps me remember the impact of that particular movie so i'm really glad that i that we went through and watched that specific era because i think it just makes the context of where we're going a lot clearer i think it's really interesting um skylar actually liked snow white this time gasp Mm -hmm. i I know i've never liked that movie well actually it's not the movie (coughs) for me it's like i if it's a musical, I have to really like the music to like enjoy the film because it's a huge part of it. And I've never liked any of the music from a lot of these movies. So, interestingly enough, though, I didn't really like the music from Snow White, but I did like the film. Wasn't there one song you liked, Hi-Ho, right? No, honestly, going back through it, I was like, oh, I don't like this as much as I thought I used to. Uh, but there is a song that we'll get to that I, I, did, I did enjoy. Okay, so let's start at the very beginning. Um, we do have to talk about because Disney is very impacted by what happens in the world. So Skylar took some time, and I'm by time I mean a lot of time, to dig up some research for us on what's going on in the world. So honey, do you want to give your cliff notes of what's going on in the world at this time during this era? So obviously the 1920s, you know, Mickey Mouse was created, all of that, Steamboat Willie happened, a lot of the front of the groundwork of the Disney company was already laid out. Um, but we're not starting there. We're starting in the 1930s because this is really when the first Disney film actually happened. Um, so obviously right around this time period in the early 1930s, 1940s was the great depression. So that, you know, had a huge impact on the content that they were, you know, given and the only hope really in the world at that time was Disney movies because, Having nothing really at all, um, these movies gave them an escape to the the really big struggle in America and throughout the world that they were dealing with every single day. So it was pretty interesting to go through it. Um, and during this time period, it was really cool because you could see the, the actual rise of jazz and swing music. So not only that, but culturally, you're getting all these different flavors that we didn't really have before. Um, into the 1920s Um, and really big things at that time were radio talk shows because again they needed some form of of entertainment to get them throughout each each day 
um, and just starting to come out were board games to actually have with families to bring them closer together, which makes sense again during that time period. Um, and I found this very interesting. I wanted to go through each era and kind of see the difference in prices to the different films that were coming out in that time. Sure. Yeah. Um, and yeah, for just to see like the rise throughout each of the decades. Um, but during this time, it only costed 25 cents to go to the movies. So if you wanted to see Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, which is the first one that we'll get to, it was only 25 cents for your entire family uh, to go and see the God, film. $30 premium pass. I, I know, literally. It's insane. That's crazy. Which is like reasonable too. A $30 pr- premiere pass on Disney Plus is pretty much worth two people going to the movies yeah, for one mostly. day. Uh, okay, so the car- the shorts that came out before Snow White were like, as you mentioned, Mickey Mouse and pretty much like these little silly shorts that are coming out. This is what the Walt Disney Company is used to. I'll be honest, I took a lot of notes for Snow White and I didn't take any notes for any of the other ones. So I'll talk the most during Snow White, most likely, because I think it's definitely a transitional thing in terms of going from shorts to movies and how their scripts and their plot progressions and what they choose to focus on develops. So, of course, we'll start with 1937, which is Snow White and the Seven Dwarves that was released at the Carthy Circle Theater, and it became the highest grossing film ever at that point. Um, This is also the first animated full-length feature film ever in the U.S. I believe Brazil, I could be wrong, there's a Latin American country that does, that had one animated feature film before the U.S. So this is the first U.S. animated feature film. Um, and let's give our thoughts on the, we did watch it, so let's give our thoughts on, not that I haven't seen it before, I've seen it a million times, but it was nice to look at it from a, to watch it with a, with a different purpose entirely and, and take notes on it. So, um... Who do, does anyone want to start first on your thoughts on Snow White? Part of me was like, do you want to start first because this meant like the most to you? Or do you want to do it last because you probably have the most? I'm mostly looking at Jared because he's been quiet for a while. So I'm like, say something. Um, I didn't really take notes on any of them. So I'll keep it short and sweet. Um, yeah. I remembered Snow White fondly. Um. But I forgot a lot of details that actually made me not like it as much as I used to. Really? Okay. Just because I feel like I feel like I'm gonna think this with a lot of the movies that we watch is that my memory of the movie is a lot sweeter and a lot fonder than what the movie actually is. I only remember like the key details of it. I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I'm just saying it wasn't my favorite out of this era. It was my favorite out of this era, rewatching the... I thought maybe as an adult I would... Because it's... For the other ones, for Pinocchio, Bambi, and Dumbo, for me it was as a kid I couldn't stomach them, so I thought as an adult I would enjoy them more. And that wasn't the case. Which is really fascinating. What did you think, honey? Oh, I actually took notes on all of them. So. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, I don't know if you want to go through them so or not. So something but... that I 
found, first of all, very fascinating. I was, and this was not even when I was watching it. This was before I was watching it. And I was just like, you know, tapping around on my computer, having a, bl- a grand old time. And I found this little fun fact out of nowhere where they talk about Snow White's costume where it's both a combination of a 16th century historically accurate gown and a 1930s historically accurate gown. So it's got the the puffed sleeves at the shoulders, which were very historically accurate, as well as the bodice of her dress. But the reason why her skirt is so slim is because that is a easier image for people to take in as an audience in the 1930s. I thought that was fascinating. I thought that was really cool. And I'm a big costuming person. So I was like, oh, it's a reason. So I really, I enjoyed like, I enjoy the lore. Okay. I do. I enjoy the historical lore. Yeah. The 1930s was all about freedom of expression and the release of, um, kind of the first release of America origin things. So you have like flappers, swing music. That was that was the theme. That was the trend. Right. Right. So my thoughts on the movie. So I kinda came at it from a cultural standpoint in terms of what I had been told as a child. So my parents were very invested in me watching this movie. They gave it to me on DVD when I was a kid. And it had, like, the special features where you, like, play as the dwarves in the minecart and you, like, try to save Snow White. Like, I had I had the remastered version on DVD and I watched, like, all the documentaries about it when I was a kid. Like, I watched this movie a lot as a child. And as a naive little child, I went to my friends who I knew growing up and I was like, hey, let's watch Snow White because that was one of my favorite movies. And she says, oh, my mommy doesn't let us watch Snow White. And I was like, that's interesting. So then I went to my mom and I was like, hi, why does my friend's mom not let her watch Snow White? And uh, these are, the parents are also friends with my parents. And so my mom told me, oh, she thinks that Snow White is about uh, falling for a man you just met and about how women are meant to cook and clean in the house. That's their only purpose. Um, and it doesn't present women as a formidable front. And that's the, that's the thing, right? Is like there are still we're in this new era of feminism right now where we're, we're kind of like, how do I describe this? Like the oppression of women and the need to force them into kitchens was so strong that when women got more liberty, that's not the word agency. When women got more agency, the back the pushback to be girl bosses and career women and strong and um tough like the the pushback was was extremely great because of how bad the oppression was right so you have to kind of go full throttle on the other side of the spectrum just to combat the the oppression and now, as we are going into a post-COVID era where everybody was in their homes for like two years, maybe even longer, we're starting to accept that there are women 
that don't want to be CEOs and there are women that don't want to be professors and there are women that don't want to have big careers. They just want to be stay-at-home moms. They just want to cook and clean. Like they want to be housewives. They want to be trophy wives. And like there was a TikToker that I saw who was like, okay, feminists are going to kill me. I like to cook and clean. That's what I want to do. I don't want to work. And a lot of the comments that I was reading were like, yeah, your idea of femi- of feminists are very like the 2000 to 2010s. We're in the 2020s now. And the 2020s are saying if a woman chooses to cook and clean, that is feminism. If she as long as she has the right to choose if she wants to be soft, if she wants to be tough, if she wants to clean or if she wants to run a company. Like if as long as the woman herself gets to decide what makes her happy, then that's fine. And that's what the 2020s in feminism are. Oh, it took 100 years later. But that is what the 2020s are about. So I'm looking at this movie with a 2020s lens versus a 2000, 2010s lens. Does that make sense? Am I, am I talking too much? I, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Because it's very easy to look at Snow White and go... She's such an anti-feminist. I did some dig. I, I, I wrote notes. Okay. So first of all, the love story, because that's the first thing you see, is the introduction of the love story. Walt Disney and the animators and the storytellers are very good at quick storytelling. And what quick story- storytelling is all about is not about the literal things that are happening, but it's about the metaphorical things that are happening. Because you only, they've only had like five minutes to tell stories so when the prince and snow white sing to each like are singing to each other about each other it's not that oh my god she's in love with a man she literally just met that this that just snuck up on her it's what that it's what singing a love song together represents it's not about their like what actually happened to them but the reason why he's there is to present a front for the queen to get upset no, yeah, it's I not agree. about that they actually fell in love. It's not about that. It's about the queen's jealousy, and we're using the love story as a side device to push that forward, right? So we're looking at metaphorically when you sing a love song. Now you're in love. It's a suspension of disbelief. This is what happens in fairy tales, and that's how that goes. Um, it's more of a thematic device. Um, and a lot of what we're another thematic device we see is the envy of youth, um, and that's a trait that we see in a lot of our older generations. And I, I don't know about you guys and what you see in the world, but I work in fashion, and I work in bridal, and there's a big difference between the moms and the brides these days. Where the moms are like, you have to be skinny to be pretty, like, oh, you're fat, oh, you're this and that, and then you have the brides and the ones who are trained to help them that are saying, you know body positivity and being curvy is beautiful which it is and we are dispelling those things that say you have to look a certain way in order to be considered beautiful and I think that this movie and the villain in particular is a very strong reflection of those beauty standards and how older women can get very insecure about the beauty standards of the youth and I think it's interesting that even in a way, I think that the Disney company is using 
the storytellers are using the queen as a cautionary tale, which is a little bit, a very forward thinking, which is the more that you're obsessed with somebody else's life, the uglier you become, which is exactly what happened to her. Um, I also, I, there, okay, this is a scary movie, right? Um, I mean, technically, yes. Mm-hmm. Like technically, there are there are some scarier aspects of it, and I enjoy that, Jared, that you're being like, eh, because like I agree, it's not that scary, but I think this is the experimentation of what Walt wants with families. I think he's playing with the idea of there's something for the kids and there's something for the adults. I think horror probably isn't it, but like. Because we don't usually we don't, we haven't seen it in that particular way ever again. We don't see it quite like that ever again, mm-hmm. especially in this era. But I think he's trying to blend fit adults and children together in this one movie, and he's like, "Let's try being scary." Did it work? Not necessarily. But at the same time, you got to think about the time period and what they've actually seen on screen. So it probably right. was. Um, I had more notes here. Oh, I these aspects are scary, but the monsters are like, they're very like natural and organic, which is, I think is peculiar. And they never move. They're static. So they're not actually doing anything. Except for the, the creepy log thing. Yeah, the the... There's a sequence where she's surrounded by all of the scary trees. Oh, yeah, trees. they're not moving because they're like, trees. They're not moving because they're trees. They just look scary. Yeah, it's the child It's all in her of, head. Like, it's dark. all in her head. She's yeah. scared of the dark, right? She's a traumatized character. I'm going to get into that. She's really traumatized. Um, and they're... But, like, I thought the little log things in the water, I thought they were kind of cute. Like they had, they're like kind of smiling. I thought they were kind of cute. So I think that's how they're trying to blend those two things a little more, in order to keep the kids in their seats instead of running and crying away. But I've heard that, like, especially from friends that have seen it in the past, that like that wasn't the case. They still ran away and cried. Um, and that tends to be a reason why a lot of kids grew up with a disdain for the movie because it had those scary parts in it. I would just skip them. I'll be honest. My mom fast forwarded through them. Um. And that saved me my love for the character. Um, and then I got to, oh, the silly little animals. This is where we start to see Walt Disney at its best. Because what is he used to? Silly little characters and silly little storylines. Right? Like he's used to the nonverbal ridiculousness of silent films and just like a little jig playing in the background. Yeah. And the animals and the dwarves are where you see that. Where you're like, oh, this is the Walt Disney that we know of, the 20s, trying to make an animated film. Because, like, we see more of a turtle trying to climb the stairs than we see of the actual prince. Yeah. So we know at this point who matters more in the story. The little animals. And what they do to... Like, the animals are a whole character. They are a whole plot-driven character. Um, And a lot of the movie is about the gags that they share. I, like, I tried to make a list of all the gags because it was ridiculous, but there were too many. There were literally too many gags to count. 
where they wanted you to giggle at the dwarves or giggle at the bunny rabbits or giggle at the deer, like something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one shot of the river when she's when she's going to the cottage, that walking shot. Can you imagine how complex that was and why they made that such a big deal? Yeah. Because, like, that's a, that's must have been, like, I can't imagine sitting there and going, oh, my gosh, I've never seen that before. I do have a counter argument when you're done, but I'm going to wait until you're done. Oh, I have a lot more. So why don't you start now? Okay. <laughs> this is probably the only time I'm going to say it in this series because it okay. is something that I feel with a lot of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't really need to say it for every single movie that we come across it. Um, Mm -hmm. To be a little bit of a pessimist, not about the movie, but about the fact that it's hard for me to take stuff like Snow White more than just face value. Because I love looking Mm -hmm. at stuff through a 2020 lens and being like, yes, this is her choice. This is what she wants to do this is how we're moving the story along. Like all that stuff that you talked about, but thinking that this came out in 1937 makes it hard for me to be to say, to take it more than just face value because in the thirties, that's what the women were doing is they were Mm -hmm. cooking. They were cleaning. They were supposed to take care of the house and beauty was everything. Yeah, this series mm-hmm. is interesting in that you kind of have to put yourself in that time period because we're going back into the time period. But for if you're if you're a mother in 2024 deciding whether or not to show your child a Snow White because you think it's anti-feminist, that's what I'm saying is like that's what you can tell. Oh them yeah, now. for sure. No, I know. Yeah, yeah. and I'm not disagreeing mm-hmm. with anything that you're saying. It's that's right. just kind of how my brain works. Of being mm-hmm. like I can't really live in 2020 brain when I watch mm-hmm. when I like watch Snow White I go back to 1937 brain where it's like this was mm-hmm. taken as face value until someone decided not to I wish that, that was that in me sense. this movie for me was like <laughs> my ADHD nightmare going through this film was so difficult but I was I was able to do it, but oh my god, was it hard. Hi, say more. Like, I was thinking about... Yeah, no, I was thinking about all the things that kind of, like, threw me off. Um, and one of the... One thing that stood out to me, like, the entire film... Um, was just her voice. As an ADHD person, I was, I was going in crazy. I was... Oh, it was too hard. high. It's too yeah, high. Yeah, it was really high-pitched. Um, but... Snow White as a character, I was thinking because she's is she isn't she related to the queen or she Queen Mary did right stepdaughter stepdaughter yeah, so Queen Mary did I was thinking the entire time I was like do you think she's a witch too because the the fact that she's so able to easily talk to animals and communicate with them I was like Snow White's a witch I guarantee you she's also a witch I feel like that's kind of along the what Armida was talking about earlier though where most of Walt's early stuff was let's have a cute little thing with the cute little creatures. Yeah, true. And yeah, that's, I don't know if it, if it, I don't think 
they thought that deep into it. I thought it was just, I think it was just Snow White is the personification of metaphors. She's a metaphor, yeah. right? So like Snow White is the metaphor for all things good and happy and sweet and silly. So of course she can talk to animals because that's like what she. That's my head canon now though. Is that Snow yeah, right? White is a witch who can Snow talk White to animals? Um, one of the things that was like crazy to me is how she like full on like broke into their house and like cleaned everything. That's like an ADHD person's nightmare. Can I? Can I? Can I talk about this, please? Can I talk about this? Because this is where both of your comments come in, come into play here. Okay, what happened? with the queen and snow white in the beginning of the story it literally says the queen when the king died the queen forced snow white to be a scullery maid you can imagine that conversation that that took place was something along the lines of you can stay if you become my servant and that's what she's been that's how she's been dealing with her father's death is cleaning that was how that was her forced response, right? And so I'm watching this movie and I'm thinking about this as she goes in there because the dwarves were not happy that she cleaned. No. They were not happy. They were like, "Oh my god, the sugar's gone from my cup because she this darn girl came in and cleaned." The only thing they were happy about is that she cooked. And to be honest, if she came in and said, "I'll cook for you," I would let her stay too. I would be fine with that. Feed me, please. Yes, I'll let you stay if you feed me. Like, relatable. But, like, she goes in and she just cleans the house from top to bottom and ha- and makes them a home-cooked meal. Why? It's a trauma response. I need to stay here or I'm going to die. So I'm going to clean this place because what I'm used to is people being kind to me if I do a service for them. Dang. Actually, I didn't even think about that. That's That's dark. Mm-hmm. It's really messed up when you think about it. Even though she died, even though she stayed. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So continuing on, um, I just have a few notes for the rest of the film, and then you can continue. But so about the yeah. music, my the one song I actually didn't expect to like was "Whistle While You Work." That was that was the you one song it? out of the whole movie that I really enjoyed. Oh, that whistle didn't drive you crazy. You know surprisingly like as no your tism didn't scream the one time no this is actually the only time that i've fully gone through this movie that does not surprise me yeah i've never been able to actually get through it before so this is the first time i was able to sit down and actually do it but it's so interesting i love how the dynamic changes because she is practically begging on her she like the when she cleans the house top to bottom that's her saying please let me stay and when they realize when she says i'm snow white and they go oh my god the princess which i have a theory that those are the miners for the royal jewels just a theory because they know a lot about the queen and about the princess which like there's no tv or television so how would they know what they look like so I think that they... Wait, actually, the fact that you just said that makes a lot of sense. So... Right. Because how would they know that she's wicked? How well, would they know that? Not not that specifically, but thinking to once upon a time, they took that and their actual storyline. Like, they worked for the queen. Right. So the fact that, like, it could have derived from that, that makes a lot of sense. Right. So, anyway, 
But what I'm saying is that when they realize when when they acknowledge her as the princess, the dynamic shifts because now she's tell instead of her begging them to let her stay, she's now telling them, "You cannot touch my soup until y'all clean your dirty hands. Y'all were just in the mines. Wash up. You are not touching my food with those coal, dark, like covered in dirt, like covered in." all this grime like uh uh-uh go wash your hands like that's when she starts to take on this motherly role because the dwarves allow that to happen because she's now she is now the monarch and they're just her subjects interesting thought i Um, thought she thought the house was abandoned at the beginning of the movie no she said that the, the children will come home I'll clean the house and surprise them. Then maybe they'll let me stay. Oh, that's right. That was the last of my okay, notes. I only have a couple more. That was the end. Because p- pretty much from there, it was just the queen being terrible. And, like, you know, jealousy makes you ugly. Take so it away, Penny. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so. The prince comes back as a plot device. That's all he's there for. He's just there to move the story along. He's there to finish the story. That's it. He has no he has no point. I but the music that they were able to play, I really liked I really like the the music of the silly song, like the Alpine kind of style. I don't like the lyrics. The lyrics sucked, but the actual like music of it was really, really cool. Um the only issue I had with the film was like it felt like really rushed at the end and like pretty anticlimactic and it just kinda ends quick storytelling yeah, it was like let's go let's go let's go oh, okay well that was a uh, waste of time but you know right no one's gonna want to sit in the theater for that long yeah. and then there's end game 100 years later and then there's end game so right after the release of the snow white movie this is actually right around the time when the walt disney productions actually gets created so this actually now becomes the walt disney company as we know it today um so now it's starting to become the brand that it will later span the next 100 years which is really exciting um 1939 so two years after the actual release of the movie snow white won an actual or snow white won a honorary academy award um with one regular sized oscar statue and seven small statues for each of the seven doors which i thought was really really cool um this is also the year that daisy duck was created for all of you guys that are like hardcore disney fans um, obviously all of the Fab Five was already created during that time period in the 1920s and early 30s, but now moving into the actual films, um, we now have Daisy Duck. So that's pretty cool. Yay! My favorite! And now going... And and while yes. we're on Snow White, I would Go like ahead. to Go say something else about it real quick. Um, Snow White's the only Disney princess with a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I did not know that. That's really cool. Get it. Yes. Elsa's mm-hmm. going to be next. She's not the only Disney character, but she's the only Disney princess. Oh, okay. Okay. Yes. All right. Now, the Pinocchio talk's going to be a lot quicker. All right. Let's go into 1940. Pinocchio and Fantasia. I had never seen Pinocchio before. What? Mm-hmm. How have you not seen Pinocchio? I had never I seen it Pinocchio. before. I don't know what it was, but I just don't think that that it interested me. My parents never showed it to me. Um, 
but I watched and I but I've been on the ride a million times at Disneyland. So I knew the plot. No, you didn't. Yeah, I did. <laughs> the plot is so weird in the actual movie compared to the ride. No, it's like the same thing. It's literally yeah. the same. It's a weird ass plot though. <laughs> it is weird. Yeah, chaos incarnate yeah. splatted together. So, and this is all taking place, and like I get why the Tom Hanks version has him going. You did all that in one day, because that was exactly what I thought at the end of the movie. Like you did all that in one day. Yeah. So I did write. I did write some notes for it. Um, so, oh, you did. Yeah, I did. I wrote notes for Pinocchio and Dumbo. Um, okay, what'd you get for so Pinocchio? Pinocchio, you know, I I didn't really have a whole lot of thoughts going in this movie. It's just a whole lot of cracked out nightmare fuel. It's it's terrifying. I don't know why you would let your child watch this movie after, you know, you see the release of Snow White, which is a cute little princess. And then it's just a whole lot of darkness in the next movie that gets released. Um, but talking about the actual music of the movie, the score is really good. The music department did a lot of really good work for the movie. Um, here's why I get a little controversial. I love Honest John. He's my favorite character in the whole movie. I know it's weird. I don't know if I like the little, the little deviance of him, but I just think he's so fun to watch on screen. The way Jared and I just cringed so hard. I know. I really like him though. I don't know why. Foul fellow. They're both. I don't know. I just like them a lot. Yeah. Um. My favorite character is Jiminy Cricket because he's the only thing that makes sense in that, that movie. I like that. I didn't realize Jiminy Cricket had like a whole emotional arc. Oh no, he does. Yeah. That like he actually has development. That he's yeah. not just there to be a conscience. The whole point is him becoming. It's like a Mushu plot. Yeah, kind of. Or like Mushu's a Jiminy Cricket plot, which is really cool. Um. Jiminy is the great stone dragon. He is the great stone dragon. For me, it's... I I honestly struggle with what this movie wants to be. Is it a coming-of-age story? Like, is this movie more about morality and the curse of ambition and pride while he goes and joins the musical act and then it turns into some Moby Dick story where he gets swallowed by the whale? Like, there's so much going on. And a very short runtime. It's a cautionary tale, right? It's a dark cautionary tale, which is like, it is both of those things. It's a silly little movie that also has a really dark message about growing up and about coming of age. Because again, it's, it does happen all in one day and that's the silly part of it. But like going back to quick storytelling metaphoric metaphorical things it's not about that it happened over the course of one night it's about what those events individually mean oh no i 100 percent agree but overall i think like the characters are like really likable um but it's really just the script that like throws me off i do think overall it's a pretty good mm-hmm. movie though of course we introduce the ever most famous song that defines the walt disney company when when you wish upon a star which why it came from that movie i don't know i think it was just because of the the metaphor of the star 
that it really kind of just came in just because of the star metaphor. And the irony that it's sang by Jiminy Cricket and not like the Blue Fairy or something. Yeah, it's just a wish, yeah. Aye. Okay, so any uh, any final thoughts on Pinocchio? No, I don't think so. It's just the movie's a lot. It's it's a little, but it's a lot at the same time. And like, it's yeah. hold on, I'm sorry, Pleasure Island? The... Yeah. The grown-up themes on that island are ridiculous. You want to know something that's crazy? What? The amount of Jeffrey Epstein correlations to Pleasure Island and that being the action. Yeah. 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 It's not great. It's a cute way to talk about human trafficking. Yep. (laughs) Is that's a lot. At the same time, you know, there's, there's issues that it's good that it's being, you know, shown but not in a disney movie right that shouldn't be there But like yeah because it's pinocchio doesn't want to be a grown-up he's just thinks like these ideas are cool and just goes with it there's no reasoning why he wants to do it he just does it right but yeah the tobacco depictions the drinking depictions though when lampwick starts to turn into a into a a donkey and pinocchio has to look at his beer and his and his cigar to make sure that they haven't driven him crazy it's it's very adult it's but then again that's during the time if you think about it though it's during the time of prohibition Mm -hmm. and it's also during the time where that was just normalized right i also find it as another way that they're trying to blend adult and child they're trying they're still trying to blend those two things it's not working but they're trying. And we're going to come up on, I think, what's going to be it in Dumbo. I think Dumbo's going to solidify it, but we got to go to Fantasia first. Yep. Fantasia is the next movie in 1940. Do you have any fun facts? I, for Fantasia, no. I have stuff that happens after between Fantasia and Dumbo, but okay. that's that doesn't happen right now. Okay. Um, I didn't watch Fantasia I've tried to watch Fantasia multiple times. I've never been able to get through it. Um, so if you mm-hmm. want to take that, go for it. I was the only one who watched Fantasia, right? No. I love Fantasia. Oh, you love... Okay, cool. Okay. So, Fantasia... I love Fantasia 2000. Like, love the second one. The first one didn't get me as much. I and maybe it's just nostalgia hanging hanging on to me for Fantasia 2000 or I just like the art style more in Fantasia 2000 but the first one of course births my favorite one of my favorite characters of in the parks which is Sorcerer Mickey. Oh, I was going to say Chernabog. No, oh Cherny Cherny too. Your favorite is Cherny. No, I love Sorcerer Mickey but like the whole night on ball. Oh my god, Jared's face. Who says Cherny? That's what Skylar calls Chernabog. That's my question. I don't care if you like Chernabog. My question is, why are you calling him some slow churned <laughs> ice cream? <gasps> I call him Daddy Cherny. Sorry, that's a Chewbacca roar for Armida to edit. <laughs> That was funny. Yeah, I wasn't that... Besides 
Chernabog and and Sorcerer Mickey, I wasn't that impressed with it. I did like... So there's the Grecian scene, right? Like, there's... the. This is where we start to see the racism coming in. And, yeah. Like, Walt does... The movie is very much a product of the time. Yes. That particular film, yes. Um, and it is a raging example of how Walt Disney and his p- production and his pictures are a representation of what is popular at the time. And that kind of stuff was not condemned as hard. Right. So, so you have this, and there is an uncensored version somewhere on the internet because the Disney Plus version does exclude this straight-up Jim Crow centaur character in the Greek portion, in the pastoral, who is literally the slave servant of the other centaurs. And then at one point when you see the image of Dionysus, there are, and they did not cut this out, there are, the centaurs are zebras, clearly African-American women that are slaves to him. So there's that. That is a thing. I also kind of think, doesn't Dionysus have like, doesn't he rule over a bunch of people? Or I, I don't know the Greek story. so I'm I don't like... know what what that entails, but I did. He's the party figure, essentially, in the, oh, okay. in the story. But that was a thing that happened. And it is part, and Fantasia does have the disclaimer over top of the film that says these stereotypes were bad then and they are bad now. But I, you got to appreciate Disney having the guts to acknowledge it. Now, they did, they did censor it, though. As much as, like, we don't talk about this sort of thing, Walt Disney wasn't the best. He did have a lot of those kinds of beliefs. He was a very much a white man during that time period. He was very much a product of the rest of the world. Is there anything else for Fantasia? Uh, I don't know. Anybody else have any final thoughts? Nope. I'm glad for what it actually was able to create for stuff later on, like the f- the fact that we get some of the greatest characters and Fantasmic and Sorcerer Mickey. Like, it birthed a lot of really good things for, you know, stuff for the parks and just just general later on. But this movie in particular is very not great for, you know african-americans and people during that time it's again product of the time but it's it's sad yeah i do appreciate the thought process that went into the concept of let's make classical music accessible to children and families that don't necessarily sit down and listen to those kind of things like let's animate oh, as an those. art style it's incredible like let's animate let's create animation to that music and hopefully people will be able to take in these classic pieces better sure yeah okay do you want to go ahead and read what happened in disney history after this yeah so right after the the term or 
the turn the time when Fantasia gets released to the public. This is actually when Multisy Studios officially opens in the Burbank location. Um, and we also get the first stocks um, for Disney. They get released to the public. So now we're starting to get money, you know, for the company to start funding all of their big budget films um, and what will become Disneyland later on. Um, right after this time, there was a huge animator strike um, that actually halted a lot of the productions that were going on during that time. Um, and it reflected a lot of anger in the equalities of the pay that the Disney uh, employees were receiving at that time. And it ended in a five-week-long strike, and it ended up firing a lot of the animators that were working on Dumbo um, and Bambi during the 1940s. So eventually, they became so they were they were they were down so much that they signed a uh, screen cartoonist guild, um, where basically it contracted everyone that ever worked for Disney for any of the shorts or movies or uh created any of the characters if they wanted to come back to work they would be allowed to regain their job um and actually get more uh subtle and higher pay uh for whatever project they'd be working on next so honestly it was really really cool a lot of them signed back on and a lot of people that were like working for the company before got a lot more money um in the walt disney company so honestly, that's a win for all of the, the animators and drawers during that time period. So we also got the Pinocchio won an actual or Pinocchio won an Academy Award for best original score. So that's great. Again, we we're talking about the music of Fantasia and uh, or Pinocchio and Fantasia won two Academy Awards, which I could not find listed, but it's cool that they also won. Um, I believe one was for the inclusion of music to animation which i thought was cool how it blended the two really really well um but i don't know the last one nice um and now we move on to dumbo i'll be honest i did fall asleep through most of dumbo so i really only got to the sad part and then i don't remember the rest of it and you know Um, it's not the best that it opens up with a inherently racist scene but Yes. It opens up with the chain gang. Yes. Pretty much. Yep. They are faceless African Americans working on a prison, working on the railroad tracks for Casey Jr. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not. It's not the best, but you know there it is, and. In a way, there's some kind of futuristic justice for me that this movie didn't really do well. This movie did not do well whatsoever. No. So it, it kind of, there's a there's a certain justice in that for me that it didn't do well. I can see why they, re- they tried to live action remake it. Still didn't do well. But I think this is where we start to get into the territory of... We're okay, so we're starting. We're getting our footing here, right? We're trying to figure out how do we blend adults and children together. Dead parents, because everybody cries about dead parents. 
Mm. One way or another. Our favorite Disney trope. That's where we, and that's where the dead parent trope starts to come in. It starts with Dumbo. We'll see it again in Bambi. And we'll see it again in a lot of different movies. But like tugging at the heartstrings and getting at the emotions is they're starting to play with us here. This is where you'll start to see that theme continuing on, like the the deep, sad, emotional stuff and pushing away the silly stuff to make room for the emotional stuff. Because that's really where you get families to come together is getting families to cry to cry and laugh together. So that's where that cut. That's that's the thing that I noticed the most for Dumbo. So I got some notes for Dumbo. We go gotta, ahead. We gotta talk about this bad boy. We're gonna crack her open real fast. Uh-oh. Here we go. Oh. Um, starting with the actual thematic elements of the movie, Casey Jr. is so iconic. Let's just start there. It's iconic. I was I singing. I think it's I, really cool. I was singing along to Casey Jr. I will not lie to you. It's cute. I that's the best part of the movie. Um. After that, it doesn't get well, and it doesn't get better from there. Um, one thing for me is I, I have never had an attachment to any of these characters. Like it's so hard. The characters aren't that enjoyable. Like they're pretty boring. And one of the the only song that I really enjoyed was when I see an elephant fly, and the whole movie. And that is where we get the elements of blatant racism um, in the character of Jim Crow. And yes, he is named Jim Crow. They are the Blackbirds um, in the movie. And it's, I, I didn't pick it up for a long time growing up. But once I did, I was like, oh, that's where we're going with this. Um, and of course, this is during the time of segregation. And this actually started a big push to what would later become the civil rights campaign in 1954 mm-hmm. was this movie. I I think it start and this is I think this is where you can it's sneaky, right? Because it's not a depiction of a black person like the chain gang scene is. It's just an animal, right? No, it But wait, 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 wait. No, wait. it is though. Here's where I'm going. Yeah. Like, you can start an argument about whether or not it's a racist depiction because it's hidden. Because it's not blatantly obvious. You got to think about what I notice is, like, the way in their speech. Mm-hmm. It's very much, like, depicted as making fun of African Americans and the way yes. they talk. Correct. That's exactly what it's doing. But it's a crow. So. Right. A lot of the outrage or a lot of the protests that could come from it, you have the opposing side going, but it's just an animal. But it's what it, the animal represents, right? And then you start your back and forth, which is what gets things heated for these discussions. And this, and we'll see this again in Song of the South next time when we move forward. But that is where you get the, oh, it's not racist. It's just this because they're hiding it. They're trying to hide it. So then it doesn't become a hot thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty much all I had. Um, honestly, I actually put just as my notes, but I put like ratings out of five for each of the movies. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and we I have Bambi this... still. No, I know. I put okay. this one at a one out of five. Um, Fair enough. Fair enough. Just because, like, I really don't like the movie. Um, and it really doesn't have a whole lot to offer with the characters or the music. Um, and it's just, it's not great for racial equality. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you know, product of the time, but mm-hmm. looking at it now, it's very much uh, blatantly obvious that this is a very problematic film. Mm-hmm. But that's all I have for Dumbo. All right. What do we have for, and we move on from Dumbo to Bambi, which is the anti-hunters. So before we get into Bambi, um, there is a little bit, we actually won an Oscar for Dumbo for the best original score. Oh boy. Um, Casey Jr. Yeah. I I don't know, honestly. But um, and this is actually when we start to get uh, into World War II. Um, where Disney as a studio starts producing propaganda um, to start earning money for the troops to go overseas to fight against Nazi Germany. Um, so U.S. Army actually moved onto the Disney studio lot on December 8th to kind of counteract the effects of the bombing of Pearl Harbor. So Walt Disney was a very big activist in the Army and America, and he was a very proud American. Um, so he let them no, actually stay on was the lot he? I um, as an known. aircraft base Yeah, to mm. let them train um, and give them what they needed to fight uh, overseas, which I thought was really cool that he was able to split the lot down uh, between the army and the actual animating studio mm-hmm. um, of the Walt Disney Company. But so yeah, we, uh, it is time for Bambi. Bambi. And Bambi, Bambi is a simple little film about wildlife preservation because we all know that Walt had a soft side for animals and for viewing wildlife and preserving wildlife. He loved, loved True Life Adventures. He loved the Jungle Cruise. So we all know this is this the fact that we have a movie that is anti-hunter propaganda does not surprise me. At least that's what I got from it. Was this this movie is seriously anti-hunter. Yeah, no, the movie itself in essence is just the the love of nature and the beauty behind all the creations Mm -hmm. that are found in the natural world like thumper and like the rabbits and the deer all of that and i think that's really cool that they were able to do that because in a time period while it was so heavily focused on war we have something that's so sweet and gentle as bambi um which is a very big stark contrast between the world and uh just the the beauty that you can find within so i thought that was really cool it has this like really bleak outlook of like at least the original story does that it's based off of it like the idea is that like it doesn't matter what you do you're gonna die anyway yeah 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 it's it's depressing but they tell it in a in a cute way it's true it's it's the progression of life right and we're also progressing the the emotional heartstrings, the the plot point that makes people cry, which is Bambi's mom dying, which is the first time I cried in this whole era. This is the first, if we're going from Snow White to Bambi, Bambi was the first time I cried. Well, there's not many like, you know, gut-wrenching things that happens during mm-hmm. any of these movies. And I think right. that was 
the first shocking thing that Disney had, you know, shown to so many people was this character that was like so innocent, having a relationship that was so like true and having her mom brutally die. Like it's it's really messed up. Just wait for the Lion King, kids. I oh yeah, say, it's definitely. Hey, I cried during Dumbo. You did when the mom when the mom, you know, yeah, yeah. I felt uh, for her. It, I it, I felt it. Hi, I mom. Cry. That's why I felt it, right? But I didn't cry, but I felt it. I yeah, baby always cry sweet. when I Dumbo, Bambi. I'm sobbing. He's an empath, people. He's got a close relationship to his mother. Okay, what else happened? honey in this era so after bambi got released the walt disney studio actually received an academy award for fantasia's contribution to music and sound design which is really incredible just to see the progression of the arts to the actual stories that they're creating um, from animation which i thought was beautiful and then disney also released a propaganda film um, for the u.s army that they put into theaters to promote um right before their movies that, that would come out um this one was actually called the new spirit with donald duck um and it actually got nominated for an academy award which is wild that these little war films are actually becoming these very big centerpieces for you know such big awards and achievements um nationwide which is really really cool and then they also released another short film called The Fuhrer's Face, which is another short film that pokes fun at Nazis and again, won an Academy Award. And so here we go, a great segue into our next era, which is the wartime era. And that's where we'll stop for today. We'll stop right there in the story. We hope that you guys are riveted by where this is headed because... I, now after having done one episode of it, I am really happy with tracking this progression. It definitely, I'm seeing it and it's, it's good to have a vision and an idea, but then to see it actually happen is a whole different thing entirely. So I am super pumped. Um, okay. What was your favorite out of this era of Disney? Who wants to go first? Well, I think we know what Armita's answer is. Correct. That is, that is my answer. Snow White is my answer. Of course it is. Because it's like I mentioned in the first episode that she's one of my favorite characters of all time. But here we are. Is Snow White my favorite um, princess? No, not in a long shot. But I really did like it for this time period. And I think it's my favorite out of uh, this, this list. I actually found a new favorite for this era. Ooh, what is it? Originally, I thought it was going to be Snow White, but I think Bambi is my number one for this Really? Era. Interesting. My, orig- my favorite used to be Pinocchio. I love how my opinion didn't change even a little bit. <laughs> I'm not shocked. She's your favorite in the original Fantasmic. Not at all. <laughs> in fact, I, I, I even found a reason to love it more. I found several reasons to love it more. And I still critiqued it. That sounds like you. That's me. I, I, like, for every reason I, I critique it, I can give you five reasons why I love it. Okay. I think we are ready to wrap it up and head on to the next era. However, comma, that's going to be two weeks from now. Our next, next episode, this coming week, we are going to recap 
the People's Choice Awards because we as people have control over that and we are going to control what we can. Oscars. Um, sorry, wow, I'm coming down with something. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to recap that and talk about who we're voting for. Um, and it's going to be fun. It's definitely a lot of like fandom-driven stuff and a lot of pop culture stuff, which we are trying to lean harder into. And we'll also be talking about the nominations. And if we have seen any of these nominees, we'll talk about those too. And a, we'll have a good little recap of cinema in 2023 as well. Okay. Well, on that note, we will see you all next week for our People's Choice Awards video and ranking our top 10 favorite movies of 2023. Um, if you could, leave us a five-star review anywhere you listen to your podcast. Actually, I think that's a lie. I think we're only on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So never mind. Leave us a five-star review. Um, if you want to follow us, our instagrams and our socials will be in the bio um we'll see you next week for that episode we'll see you the week after for our wartime era episode and goodbye thank you so much for streaming this episode of the fantasy files if you enjoyed our show please leave us a five-star rating wherever you're listening and follow us on instagram at the fantasy files pod you can also find skylar at the theme park pro on instagram and tiktok Jared is at Jared Covert on Instagram, and I am Queen Latina on TikTok. We'll see you next time. Now get out. I'm sorry that was mean. Please get out.